1: All right, guys, well, welcome back to the Equipping You Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And today I have uh, my new friend, Greg, with me. Greg, welcome to the show, brother. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you. Can you uh, just tell us about briefly about your life, marriage, ministry, and any new uh, ministry projects that you're working on?
0: Sure. I am currently, my, my main uh, job is Associate Professor of New Testament at Reformed Theological Seminary here in Orlando, one of our multiple campuses. And then uh, in a part-time capacity, I serve as associate pastor at River Oaks Church in Lake Mary, Florida. It's part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Uh, married to Kate, and we have three daughters. We've been in Florida for over six years now. And uh, in terms of ministry projects, you know, uh, in terms of church-related work, I do a lot of uh, obviously teaching, preaching, and uh, just helping the other pastor uh, lead the church. And then in terms of the RTS day-to-day, uh, other than te- my teaching load, I have um, a handful of writing projects that I'm currently at various stages on. So, uh, yeah, it's good, good, good time.
1: Yeah, you stay busy then, for sure. Yeah, yeah no, no, no.
0: <laughs> and, the, and the occasional house
1: project or two. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Well, can you uh, tell us about this new book, uh, Old, Old Made New, A Guide to New Testament Use of the Old Testament? why you wrote it and how you hope it'll be received. Yeah. So this
0: is my third, uh, I guess, trip around the bases with Crossway and uh, they've been great to work with. I, I developed, well, the big picture uh, reason why I wrote it is that really even before I went into ministry, I was always fascinated with how the new Testament interacts with the old Testament. And you, know, you can't go too far in Romans, certainly Hebrews is in like fifth verse. Sixth verse of Hebrews, you're running into just a string of Old Testament quotations. Galatians, Matthew, Luke, I mean, pretty much every book with the exception of Second John, Third John, don't make sort of direct use of the Old Testament. I was always fascinated by that. Why is that? Why do the New Testament authors so so often go back to the Old Testament? What are they doing with that? So I've always been kind of interested in that idea uh, as an adult believer and got more interested in it while I was in seminary. I actually ended up doing my PhD work in that area and have done a lot of different uh, research projects in and around that topic. What I was discovering is that there's not a lot of good how-to guides, sort of comprehensive guide for a lay audience. Uh, Most of the books, and I know this in spades because I do a lot of research in this area, most of the books are very complicated, very long, typically dissertations or journal articles, maybe on Paul's use of Isaiah. Or you know a couple psalms in this book, and they're all sort of microscopic. They're all super complicated, and they're all really kind of hard to read, frankly. Um, much more targeting a very academic audience. So I was thinking, in, in, in conversation with Crossways, like we really need something that speaks to the pew, that sort of puts things in a way that is accessible, that doesn't use jargon, or at least as much as I can can avoid it. Uh, and that it'll help lay people, Bible study leaders, even even ministry you know, people who maybe just want to brush up on their skills, help them know what they're doing, you know, whenever they approach, whenever they bump into the 300, 400, whatever you want to call it, uh, uses of the Old Testament, the New, try how to make sense of them and not just skip over them. And so that was the root idea is to make a user-friendly guide, because I don't think it has been done. Uh, The Closest is a book by my colleague, Greg Beal, but it's still fairly technical, even for my own own seminary students. So uh, that was the start of the idea. I test drove some of the materials with a uh, series of seminars that we at RTS Orlando do called Teaching Women to Teach. Um, And it was well received there. I did it in Sunday school, but it was during the pandemic. And so basically nobody came. Uh, but still still got some feedback and then turned it into a book. So that's kind of how it all came together. And my hope is that it'll get people excited about not just skipping over quotations, not being afraid of the Old Testament, the Old Testament more, more than the New Testament sort of falling on hard times with biblical literacy being what it is. And so I hope it gets people excited, feel that like they can feel confident that they can handle those kinds of things responsibly when Matthew, Luke, Paul, John, when they engage with the Old Testament. So that that's the, the nature of the book in the so you know, just to equip people with the tools uh and some examples and so forth, whereby they can go and, and do that kind of work on their own.
1: Yeah, I really I really thought that this book was really good. And I was glad that you just mentioned biblical literacy, because I had this question in the back of my head. How do you think that this topic as a whole it helps helps address biblical literacy, illiteracy?
0: It <sighs> sort of approaches it maybe in two different ways. Uh, one way is by plowing through so many key examples uh, from 1 Corinthians to Luke 24 or whatever, uh, I try to demonstrate ad nauseum that you can't read the New Testament in any kind of coherent way uh, w- without knowing something about the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to be a quote unquote New Testament Christian, which I would dispute that terminology, but if you want to be a New Testament Christian, that's fine. Uh, but you can't ignore the Old Testament because the writers of the New Testament don't. And so they're actually showing us how to do this and, and why to do it and how it uh, factors into the Christian faith. And so it, the book is sort of motivating, hopefully motivating, say, man, this is everywhere. Like, maybe I never really quite realized it and, and drives people to go left in their Bible. Uh, maybe a, a second way it addresses the biblical literacy question is that it gives... For my money, kind of a a threefold way in which we can understand really the entire Bible, uh, old and new, that the entire Bible is it, it teaches something about salvation, both old and new, and that's how the New Testament uses the old. Uh, it teaches something about Jesus, obviously, and it teaches something about our identity as the people of God. And so, that very simple, hopefully, very simple framework, I hope, can help people actually. Kind of hang their hat, hang, hang, you know, gives them, I don't know, for lack of a better term, uh, gives them coat hooks to hang their coats on as they're reading the Bible that they can say, oh, yeah, this is teaching me something about salvation and the hope of the gospel and judgment. Or this is teaching me something about my need for a Messiah to redeem me. Or this is something about what it means to be in covenant with God. And they can use that really throughout scripture. And so it gives a basic kind of roadmap for how to read the whole Bible ultimately. Because I'm trying to show them how did the old t- how did the apostles read the Bible, and therefore how should we read the Bible? So, uh, you know, I can't make people read it, and I can't make them read the Bible, but hopefully, it gives them some tools to increase their knowledge of all of Scripture that will really pay dividends over the long haul. Is my hope?
1: Yeah, I think that's I think that's really good because, like you're talking about, we do need tools like desperately. Lay people are getting you know obliterated out there. to put it to put it you know mildly and they need they need tools like what you're offering uh to learn you know how to how to navigate these things and probably i would say you know just given the statistics and my experience in ministry itself um in the local church and outside of it i don't even think probably the average christian would be even be familiar with these things so i think what you're offering in this book is absolutely really really important for the reasons that you you know, already said, you know, there's, I didn't know there's like 500 citations of the old Testament, the new Testament. That's fast. on how you count it, but yeah. But yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And, you know, they're always cropping up. So um, I think that's really, really. And one other small
0: thing I forgot to mention um, in one of the, one of the pages of the book, there's a a link to Crossway's website where you can download a reading plan that I put together. And I'm not trying to throw out machines. I'm not trying to throw all the others. um <laughs> I'm not even trying to really compete. What this reading plan does is it essentially curates what I take to be the kind of, of course, every chapter of the Bible is important. So I want to be heard correctly here. I'm not trying to say that there's a canon within the canon, but some are uh, more part of the skeleton, if you will, than others, you know, Genesis 1, for example. And so what this reading plan does, it matches up a handful, uh, about, you know, hundred and some Old Testament chapters with some corresponding New Testament chapters, the total being roughly 200 total chapters uh, that you can read in a kind of topical way as a annual reading plan. So it's, uh, well less than the total number of chapters that you, an annual reading plan would uh, would force you to kind of work your way through. And uh, it covers the whole biblical storyline. You can go at your own pace where you're not trying to scramble to read five chapters a day. You can read one and really you know, marinate on it. And the goal is, let me give you the highlights of the whole story. Uh, it's not meant to replace annual reading plans, but hopefully supplement it so you can make sense of the annual sort of have a framework uh, for how the whole Bible works and then go from there. So that's another little tool that I put together along with the book that you can you can find the link at Crossway. So just a free PDF.
1: Awesome. So why should we read and study the Old Testament? Uh, Because Jesus
0: told us to fundamentally. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that's that's enough for me. Um, I, I find it immensely fascinating. That you take the gospel of John uh, and once you get past the the prologue or whatever you want to call it, you know, the first thing his followers do, I mean, they've barely spent five minutes with the guy, uh, Philip and Andrew and so on. First thing they do is go study scripture to figure out who is this guy. And that was their gut instinct. They didn't try to, you know, look at the news or what have you. They're like, let's go find out who this guy is based on scripture. Uh, and that happens over and over again, um, especially in John. Actually, say, oh, they they remember what was written in the scriptures, and so you start the gospel process, the gospel narrative that way, and then. Uh, I find it's so, I think, transformative that at least in the Luke and retelling in in Luke chapter 24, essentially the last thing Jesus does before he ascends to sit at the right hand of the Father is give the sort of most famous Bible study lesson to First, the two Emmaus wrote disciples and then eventually all of the twelve uh, to open their minds to teach them the scriptures, which, of course, in his day was just the Old Testament. There had not been any other scriptures written yet. You don't have the gospel, you don't have Paul. And it was that important. Uh, you know, he could have gone and saved some more people. He could have done some more miracles. Uh, he could have, I don't know, levitated and spoke to 5000 people. He could have gone and visit Caesar. I mean, who knows what he could have done. But what he chose to do is teach his apostles the Old Testament. Uh, because in them are, he is found and the mission of the church is found there in Luke 24. So um, if it's that important for Jesus, that it was that how on his agenda in the last remaining moments he had in his uh, earthly ministry, it should be important to us as well. We don't have the benefit of that I don't know, supernatural Bible study lesson. But that's what the apostles do is they give us. Here's the key to unlock the Bible. That's what the epistles are doing. That's what Acts is doing. That's what the gospel is doing. So. More than anything else, Jesus tells us to. And then one of the the things I try to argue in the book is that ultimately the Old Testament is our story. It's not this foreign story of some interesting, you know, David and Goliath, Daniel and the Lion's Den, 10 more stories that you do at VBS and that's it. It's actually our story of redemption. Uh, it gives us a bigger thing that we're part of as Christians. So uh, yeah. it's hard. It doesn't mean that it's easy to read, but uh, but uh, it is fairly clear that it is is meant to be our our narrative of uh, of the people of God. So uh,
1: yeah, I really appreciate what you just said. Is because basically what you just said is that the only way to know Jesus is to know the Bible, and that actually right. it seems to be. Unfortunately, in our day, it seems to be a very controversial uh, subject. It should not be controversial for anybody that reads the Bible. Um, it's, you know, a fr- well, I guess I'll just say it. I'm talking about Andy Stanley. He came out yeah. and made a made a statement to that effect that we can't know Jesus in the Bible. And I, I think what you're saying and, and what the church has always said, it counters that. So
0: Yeah, and I mean, what's even more interesting uh, it, it's somewhat absurd to, to say that you can't know Jesus in the Bible because that's precisely why the New Testament was written, especially the Gospels. Uh, but what's interesting about that is that the Gospels, the epistles, and so forth are, are going out of their way to show us Jesus in their Bible, which at the time, uh, by and large, was the Old Testament. And so not only can you not know Jesus without the New Testament, you can't really know Jesus without the Old Testament as well. Uh, and that doesn't mean and, there's no prayer and that the Holy Spirit you know, the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Those are all key aspects of knowing Jesus. But uh, what the Spirit is doing, what Jesus even said is showing us him through what has been said about him, mm-hmm. and reminding us of the teachings, not just like I don't know, giving us dreams or whatever.
1: Uh, yeah, that's really good. What What are the three steps to use when reading a New Testament or reading the New Testament that draw from? an Old Testament passage.
0: Yeah, that's that's a a key part of what I'm trying to get across. And actually, it's worth just pointing this out. I mentioned this in the book, but um, the book is not strictly speaking about how to read the Old Testament. Uh, That's a big topic, and it kind of depends on what book you're in and so forth. This is more narrowly how to read the New Testament when the New Testament is using the Old Testament, just to be clear what I'm getting at. So I'm not giving three steps for how to read an Old Testament passage. When you sit down with Jonah, I'm giving you what to do when you run into Hebrews 1, 6. And he's pointing us to a bunch of passages in the Old Testament or Romans 3, Romans 9, Galatians 3 and 4. That's what I'm trying to focus on. And with that as the focus, um, I do present three steps. Now, other books will give you nine steps. Fifteen steps—they're all kind of a bit aggressive in what I think is doable for the average person. Uh, and a lot of times, other books uh, require you that you know some of the steps are go look up stuff in lexicons or go look up stuff in Jewish literature, most of which uh, your average layperson or, or even pastor doesn't have access to. So I'm sort of cutting through a lot of that. I think that's important. I do a lot of that work on my own, but it's not something I think a layperson has to necessarily be able to do. So uh, with those, as kind of uh, caveats. The three steps I offer, and they're not rocket science, uh, but I tried to keep it as simple and as doable as possible. You could do this in five minutes. You could take three hours if you want, knock yourself out and go into great detail. Uh, The first step simply is to identify that it's happening. Identify that the New Testament author is using the Old Testament in some way. Uh, Most of the time, that's pretty straightforward because it'll be introduced with as it is written or as scripture has said or something like that. So those are, those are marked, and that's what we might call a citation. It's like directly telling you, hey, look, I'm, I'm quoting the Bible here. Uh, other times it might not signal it, but it, maybe the English translation you use might still put it in quotation marks. And so it may not say, you know, as scripture is, has said or what have you. Uh, it may just quote something, uh, but it'll usually be familiar enough, or maybe your English Bible might put a footnote to that effect. And then sometimes it might be more vague. What we might call an illusion. And uh, so, Paul, for instance, in uh, Galatians 4, he does this uh, very clever way of going back to the story of Hagar and Sarah and Isaac and Ishmael. Now, he's not quoting chapter and verse except for one little part of it, but the whole thing is really, hey, go back to all of this section of Genesis. So, he's sort of alluding to the whole thing. So, step one is identify that it's happening. Uh, and you can use your footnotes, you can use commentaries, I don't know, blue letter, Bible, whatever you need to kind of figure out where to go to to to, to discern what uh, Mark is doing. So that's step one. Uh, step two, and and I think a lot of your average reader, they don't even necessarily do step one, uh, because I think we're so useless. Let me just read it devotionally. And I'm not saying this isn't devotional, but Uh, Let me just keep reading, plugging along. I may, I may not, it may not even register. Oh, wait a second. That's Isaiah or what have you. So uh, even, even knowing that the Old Testament is being used is half the battle. So that's step one. Uh, Step two. And, uh, and I I didn't want the nomenclature to be too hokey. uh, And maybe some folks don't, don't like this terminology or the metaphor I'm using, but I wanted to be memorable. Step two, what I offer is uh, what I I call it double clicking on the Old Testament. So it's sort of like if your Bible, you can click through and say, all right, let me go look that up. Uh, Let me go zoom out and let me view the whole passage in its context. So Mark is telling me that he's quoting Isaiah chapter 40 and maybe he's just quoting one verse of it. Let me double click on Isaiah chapter 40 and see what's going on. This is where you could spend a long time or you could just if you don't have a lot of time, maybe you just go read it. See what's going on in that uh, broader context. Read at least the chapter. I don't say you have to read all of Isaiah but uh, or, or whatever book it's in. Certainly don't have to read all the Psalter every time a psalm is quoted. Uh, but go and figure out what's going on here. Where are we in history? What's happening in Israel? Uh, why on earth is is this relevant? You know What's going on in Isaiah in this chapter? You know, Make a couple notes. What's, what's happening here? Oh, Israel's in exile and the prophet is announcing good news is going to come or something like that. Uh, and then the last step, again, sort of using a metaphor that hopefully is helpful, even though, I don't know, it's not terribly cheesy, is listening to the remix. And what I mean by that, and this may be the most important metaphor in the book, when a New Testament author like Paul uh, makes use of a psalm or what have you, they don't just sort of copy and paste it. Um, they don't just sort of assume, let me just, let me, I'm just dropping it in there. Uh, take it or leave it. What they're doing is they're they're sensitive to its context, sensitive to its original meaning, but they're also unpacking some new clarity that has come because Jesus has come because we've entered into this new age. And so there's discontinuity as well. And any good remix of any song is going to be faithful to the original, but also is going to maybe have a different rhythm, a different melody and that kind of thing. So a good remix, you know what song it is, But it's got some freshness, hence the name remix. And so, again, so that with that part of the process, you're saying, okay, how is Genesis 15 relevant to Galatians in this argument? What is Paul doing with that text? How does it fit his argument? Why? Why does it matter that he's drawing on Abraham in this case in Genesis three? What happened? just three, four. Uh, And so I give, of course, more kind of diagnostic questions, but I'm trying to kind of keep it simple enough and memorable. Okay. Identify what's happening, double click, go read some stuff in that passage. And then what is the New Testament author doing? How are they remixing it in terms of how are they reflecting the original meaning, but also showing that it has sort of expanded in meaning if you will, in light of the coming of Christ. So those are the three steps that uh, hopefully are doable. Uh, You know, a specialist, in the field would add a bunch of sub steps, but I think for the average person, those three will do it. And hopefully they're fun enough and memorable enough that you can actually knock that out in a, in a women's Bible study or a men's Bible study. And you could even yeah. do it together. Yeah. So uh, those I, are the steps.
1: Yeah, I love how actionable it is in the book. Like you come back to it again and again. And so like people might hear that and they're like, well, I don't know if I can do that. Well, in the book, guys, that he actually lays this out very uh not that your explanation wasn't helpful either i'm not saying that but yeah. like in the in the book there's like actual actionable steps that you can take to to come back to to help you keep growing in this and understanding exactly what what you're talking about so i just want to yeah that out for people. so
0: each each of the main chapters has six examples that i go through those three steps for i didn't want to do it for all of them because i think that would have gotten annoying after a while <laughs> So I pick six for each chapter so that you have 18 total in the, the, the main chapters, uh, 18 total examples where I'm kind of holding your hand, showing you here's how I would do it. I give some sample sort, sort of homework problems at the end of each chapter where you could go and do it on your own. And then this is this is somewhat new, this is new uh, hot off the presses, not even off the presses yet, but something, uh, Dave, that you could, I don't know, maybe at some point put it on the, if you want to add it to the, the podcast or what have you. Uh, is I, I, I've put together a study guide uh, where it, it has like blank templates that you can fill out. You can, some questions, reflection questions, that kind of thing that take the supplemental uh, exercises and, and give you a tool. So that'll also be available uh, fairly soon online as well. Uh, that's
1: awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really so that
0: gives you again, more, more opportunities uh, in a, you know, in a small group context or something like that, where you could work through these things and reflect on, on the, so what, so that's coming down the pipeline.
1: That's great. Well, how does the New Testament draw extensively on the Old Testament to describe the gospel?
0: Yeah, I mean, that, I started there because I thought that I started there instead of the obvious place to start, especially for someone like me who's re- approaches the Bible from a Reformed perspective. Uh, kind of the sweet spot where we tend to camp out is how the Old Testament points to Jesus, and obviously it does, and that's the longest chapter in the book. But I wanted to start with the gospel uh, because I think that is so often missed. Uh, In many respects, we've taken the law gospel tension, uh, which in some sense has some validity, um, and we've almost made it into this Old Testament equals works and law. New Testament equals Jesus and gospel. And that's not what the New Testament does really at all. Um, And I've always found myself scratching my head about why people draw that thick line between the two. And so uh, what I attempt to demonstrate, not only with those six examples, but a boatload of other examples, is that the New Testament uses the Old Testament to sketch out in detail, not just sketch out, in fact, to sort of prove out two different aspects of God's plan of salvation. There's a historical aspect of it, and there's a personal, individual aspect of it. So on the historical side, that's creation, fall, uh, the process of redemption. And then the longing for future consummation—all of that is not a New Testament idea, or at least not a—not a—it's not invented in the New Testament. That was there from the first word of the Bible of the Old Testament, mm. and that's how the New Testament authors use it. They they go to the Old Testament as saying, "Look, this is God's plan of uh, of salvation, which includes judgment uh, from the beginning of time," and sort of. We're we're sort of at the at a certain point on that timeline that we are in the inaugurated or the sort of uh, the initial foretaste of the new age that we're longing for when Jesus returns. Uh, and that's how they use Joel. That's how they use Micah. That's how they use Amos over and over again or Isaiah ever. whatever. Uh, and so that's the first key part. What's, what I find so powerful about that is that it shows us that God's plan of salvation is bigger than just you and me. You and I are a big deal. Um, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, in the mind of God, our salvation matters, but it, it matters in so far as it's part of a bigger plan that he's been working that I'm actually small and you're small, uh, in the greater scheme of what God is doing to redeem a people to himself. And so tremendously important, not just to read the new Testament as here's the, the pray, prayer I need to pray to walk the aisle and to get right with Jesus that the, the new Testament actually has a lot to say about a much bigger story that we are a part of. Uh, and in fact, our own individual salvation is really not, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense without that bigger story. So that's the first part of salvation in the, the old Testament as unpacked in the new. And then the other part, the other part of it is the individual component. What I find, um, and it actually, I, before I read the book, I kind of knew that this was true, but I never really, proven it out, put pencil to paper, I'd gotten close. Uh, but sort of looking back on the process of writing it, I think it's astounding, but maybe, maybe it shouldn't be, that every single aspect of individual, personal getting right with God, which we can call the order of salvation from, uh, depending on your theological persuasion, I go into it in the book, but from election to You know, the preaching of the gospel, uh, repentance, faith, justification, being adopted as a child of God, being sanctified progressively in your life unto future glorification. All of those super duper important things are all developed from the Old Testament by the New Testament author. Justification, as an example, makes no sense without the Old Testament. That's where Paul goes as the one who mainly teaches on this. Uh, over and over again, he's going back to the Psalms, he's going back to Abraham and so on to prove out this idea that by faith you can be made right with God. It's not something he just sort of made up because he thought it would be cool. It only, it's only coherent because God has decreed it so uh, in the Old Testament. Same thing uh, with even Faith, same thing with adoption. The idea of being adopted as a child of God isn't really a Roman thing; it's an Israelite thing from the Old Testament. So, there's a lot more that you can do with the uh, with the doctrine of salvation in the New Testament. But one thing that we can't forget is that it's always proven uh, from the old uh, from the Old Testament. So, um, it's both the historical component and the individual component that uh, the old, the New Testament really balances and roots in the old testament which really shouldn't be all that surprising where else are they going to get it uh but i think you know we approach things from a completed new testament perspective which is fine uh but they didn't have a completed new testament so where were they going to get their stuff they were going to get it inspired by god in the old testament so
1: yeah we should too (laughs) that's really good how does the Old Testament help us understand what the Church is and is to do today?
0: Yeah, so that's the, uh, and maybe we can circle back to uh, the Old Testament pointing to Jesus as kind of the climax. But in in terms of the order in the book, I cover that last. Uh, and this is where I, I mentioned it in a footnote. And what's your what's your theological background? Just
1: uh, I'm a Reformed Baptist. Reformed Baptist, gotcha. I,
0: I mentioned this that uh, at some point in in the in this chapter, the Old Testament, the Church. That I'm not attempting to kind of ruffle feathers. I'm approaching this from a reform perspective, even if someone is not reformed uh, and perhaps they're uh, dispensational of some kind. I, I can't help but read the Bible the way I'm persuaded it should be read. That being so, it's not a lot of dispensationalists may just hate this chapter. However, uh, I try to in this footnote at least say, you know, stick it out because. Still is relevant uh, even for dispensationalists. Uh, I do try to prove out over and over again that the New Testament authors try to understand who we are as the church, uh, not as a parentheses or what have you, but as, as the church that we are uh, the eschatological consummation of the nation of Israel, uh, that there is uh, immense continuity between the uh, believing. Remnant of israel uh, and the jewish remnant and uh, the church and uh you know from a form perspective that's like yeah of course because they're part of the covenant uh from other perspectives that uh, may sound uh, crazy and so people will just have to kind of judge the evidence that i try to outline but i go through all the different ways the new testament understands the church as the offspring of abraham uh, you know, it's astounding that Paul talks to the Corinthians, who are all pagan background people, mostly, uh, and calls uh, and says, our father, Abraham. It's like, what are you talking about? I'm a, I am just stopped being a worshiper of Apollos, Apollo or whomever. And now you're saying that Abraham is my father. Yes, Abraham is your father. But you're not Jewish. You're Christian. Um, and so and, and Paul just sort of does that. He doesn't explain why. The reason why is that we are part of the Abrahamic covenant. We are his offspring by faith. And so uh, that's one example. Uh, You know, we are Isaac, the children of promise. Uh, We are the wilderness generation. We are the Passover generation. We are priests. We are prophets. Um, We are living sacrifices. Like all of these beautiful ways that the New Testament describes who we are as quote-unquote church uh, and maybe not all, but most, almost all, uh, there's a few that probably don't fall in this category, almost all are drawing on rich Old Testament ideas. And why wouldn't it? If, if God is uh, a God with a single plan, which goes back to the gospel chapter, a single plan of salvation that he's been working out since, since Adam's fall, really. first uh, First Peter 2 is a great place. I spent some time on where it's just mind boggling that Peter writing probably to a mostly Gentile audience, although it probably included some Jews as well. Uh, he just takes language used in uh, the Exodus. You know, when God calls the Israelites a Royal nation and Holy priest and that kind of says, okay, now that's you church. Like what? I mean, that's like some serious Israelite language that you're just applying to the church. Cause he sees us, uh, in essential continuity with God's uh, God's people of old. So uh, that's a key part of uh, of the book that uh, I hope is helpful to people because I don't think it's often discussed well, uh, or at least not all of it. I, you know, The Abraham stuff probably gets a fair amount of air time, um, whether you're Baptist or, or, or uh, paid a Baptist. Yeah. Uh, and then in terms of the mission of the church, uh, and this kind of takes us full circle, one of the things you know, if I were going to do a missions conference, uh, this would probably be my text. Uh, we do missions conference. If I, were, if I had the, if I could call the shots, then, which I don't, uh, then I, I would go to, the, to Luke 24, 44 through 47. This is the one I mentioned earlier where Jesus opens their minds and teaches them scripture. Uh, because he says, this is what is written. He doesn't quote anything, though. There's no sort of open quotes. He's just summarizing the Bible. And he says that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise again on the third day. So that's a Jesus thing that the Old Testament teaches, which we should come back to. But then, and grammatically, it's exactly parallel. And that uh, repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. Uh, That's the mission of the church. And Jesus, again, doesn't, he says, look. As I'm now sending you out to be witnesses to me, you are witnesses to the whole world about salvation. That's the mission of the church, and it's rooted, according to Jesus, in, quote, unquote, the scriptures. He says, as it is written in the scriptures. Uh, And so there's something about the Old Testament that was also giving us the global mission of the church to proclaim salvation to the ends of the earth. That, again, isn't an idea made up in the book of Acts, Uh, That's not Acts 29 and 30. Uh, Mm -hmm. They are going back. And Jesus, as he mandates, says he's going back to the Old Testament. You can think of even the promise to Abraham was that he would be a blessing to many nations or uh, tons of other places that I list in the book where uh, there's always been this outward calling. Uh, both for Israel and then eventually the Jews, but then certainly the Christian uh, the Christian movement as well was always to go out. And so that's not a new idea per se. Maybe we have more clarity and that kind of thing. Uh, but it was it goes all the way back. You could even argue it goes all the way back to Adam um, yep. uh, and, and the creation mandate. So uh, I spend a lot of time going through uh, some fascinating places where we see the New Testament author use the Old Testament as kind of the marching orders for the church that, uh, again, it's not, they're not, not just sort of coming up with some new playbook. It's like, Oh, you know, we should go and like proclaim to the Gentiles. Like, no, that's, that's been embedded in our calling from the very beginning. It's
1: hmm. good. Does it matter that we understand Jesus being revealed in the whole of scripture and why?
0: Uh, well, the short answer of course is, uh, is an emphatic yes. Uh, and this is something that I think can be really, it certainly was for me. It's really encouraging. When the light bulb goes off and you realize, wait a second, the Old Testament, the whole Bible is about Jesus. Now, I've already talked about It's not only uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament talk about other things. It all radiates from uh, the person and work of Jesus. And so what I try to go through in the book is how do the New Testament authors sort of pull back the curtain on the identity of Jesus and his mission through the lens of the Old Testament? Uh, And so they talk about the divinity and the humanity of Jesus using the Bible. And then they also talk about his his work as prophet, his work as priest and sacrifice, his work as king uh, at the right hand of the father and so on. They get all of that really from the Old Testament over and over again. And, you know, one great example uh, that I find to be quite fun is uh, early on in Hebrews, the author is trying to show just how amazing Jesus is, how he's better than the angels, he's better than Moses and so on. And he starts with this series of quotations from the Old Testament. And in them are a couple of Psalms quotations where the father speaks to the son and says, you, O God, uh, your throne uh, is established forever, ever, uh, or let all angels worship him. And so fascinating because in the psalm, basically what what the author is doing is saying in the psalm the father is speaking to the son, even calling him God in uh, those psalms, um, and it's just it's so enriching when you kind of when that clicks like oh wait a second, not only is the father speaking to the son in eternity past, but he's calling him king and he's calling him actually divine, uh, and you get that like seven or eight verses into the book of hebrews pretty awesome so there's a whole boatload of others but um but yeah really in some respects that's the most important takeaway is that all of scripture uh reveals the person and the work of jesus in, in manifold ways not and, and i barely scratch the surface in the book but i try to at least uh, hit the big ones
1: nice well brother where can people go to find out more about you either on social media or otherwise
0: yeah i uh, appreciate that so I uh, maintain a blog uh, at glanier.wordpress.com. Uh, I don't have a fancy url but and, and some people make fun of me for that some of my buddies do but that's fine uh it's the cheap it's the cheap way of doing things so glanier, uh, glanier.wordpress.com, or you can just google my name also uh, occasionally am on twitter but I, I try not to be too much but my uh, twitter handle is uh, Lenir underscore Greg. Um, yeah, I don't know. You can just Google me. <laughs> You'll probably find something, uh, something out there. Hopefully it's the right name. Um,
1: nice. Nice. Well, you know, just as we wrap up, as I always say on the show at the end, uh, there's a lot that we can talk about. So um, we only scratch the surface. So just as we wrap it up here today, can you give us a few takeaways, brother?
0: Yeah, if you I don't know. Uh, I would give maybe two for the average Bible reader. My my hope, but what I would encourage you to do is to sit to sit at the feet of the apostolic circle and Jesus Himself, at the apostles and Jesus, and and learn from them how to read the Bible because they are modeling it for us over and over again. And uh, hopefully, that's an encouraging takeaway from the book as well. And then, if you're someone who is a minister of some sort or a small group leader, uh, campus ministry missionary. Bible study, Leah, what have you, uh, I would encourage you as you're teaching people, say you're doing a Bible study on first Thessalonians, uh, be excited. Um, these are words of life because people are going to, people are going to be excited if you're excited and they're going to be excited about the old Testament, even if they don't want to be, but if you're excited about it, if you're like, dude, this is awesome let's check out what Matthew is doing with Jeremiah here and let's go and and do these steps. And let's uh, really figure out how he's reading the Bible. Like this is going to be really cool. People might catch the bug. They might not think the old Testament is some sort of irrelevant, boring thing. They don't understand. Like if you're modeling excitement for them and if you're excited, uh, then they might catch the bug as well. So so don't forget that imitation uh, or being imitated, imitable, I suppose, is actually a Christian calling, and hopefully people can catch some of your enthusiasm. So I'd probably leave it at that. But,
1: Yeah, wonderful. Well, Greg, thank you so much for your time today, guys. Uh, Greg's new book is Old Made New, A Guide to the New Testament Use of the Old Testament. It's a very helpful book, and I want to encourage you to pick it up. Greg, thank you so much for your time today, brother.
0: Yeah, thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. No problem.